Jeff Collier is a surgeon, former state legislator, and recent governor of Kansas. It's that last job title that's the point of emphasis at the moment. Mr. Collier is a candidate for the Republican Party's nomination for governor of Kansas. It looks to be a showdown with Attorney General Derek Schmidt, but voters will settle all that in August of 2022. The doctor is joining the Kansas Reflector podcast to delve into why he's running and what he wants to do as occupant of the governor's office at the Capitol. Mr. Collier, welcome. Hey, it's great to be with you, Tim. Thank you for taking time out of your busy day. I know, I know, I know you're busy with all kinds of things. So let's get right to it. Why are you running? Yeah, I'm running to change the direction of Kansas. Kansas needs to be the dynamic state where our economy is growing, where our kids see their future in the state of Kansas rather than leaving the state and deal with the real issues that affect Kansans on a daily basis. And, you know, having been a governor um, and also as a surgeon, I'm talking, I'm with people all the time. And the direction that Kansas is headed, we're in exactly the wrong direction right now. And so my goal is as governor, we have a conservative Kansas policies that really are dynamic and helping Kansas move forward, uh, particularly over the next seven, eight years and changing the direction of the state. Yeah, it's like turning a big boat around. You were lieutenant governor for seven years and governor for one year prior to the election of Governor Laura Kelly. Can you point to any particular piece of unfinished business, a policy issue, an idea from those days that, that you'd still like to pick the thread up of? Yeah, so as lieutenant governor and governor, as lieutenant governor, I was the longest serving lieutenant governor in Kansas history. It's hard to believe, but it was, it was a really important experience going through uh, what we dealt with. As I'm looking forward as governor, I walked in under very difficult circumstances that everybody understands. And within a matter of weeks, we changed the tone of Kansas. And we were starting to look forward uh, as a state. And as I came in, we had to do a lot of things very quickly. In those first 100 days, we have a list of over 100 items, but things like transparency, getting school funding settled, dealing with the budget, um, trying to build uh, additional Kansas businesses. Those were things that we started out with. And as we went through and we were starting to change the direction of, of the state, um, we, were, we were seeing good results. And you know, at the end of you know, that uh, year, Kansas was certainly in a much better place than it had been before. And I look forward to dealing with the problems that we have now. And as we're going forward, we can talk a little bit about uh, some of those issues as we're going forward. But as the governor, you make hard decisions. And people expect you not only to be out there and listening to them, but you're working 24-7, 365, that how are we going to move our economy forward? Listening to people, getting this job done, and having the principles, the conservative values that really most Kansans share, that really are the basis of where we are as a state. Three, year, three years ago, excuse me, you ran in the GOP primary against Chris Kobach. Uh, who, who won that contest but lost to Laura Kelly. How are you approaching this election differently? I don't know if the, the environment out there is, is, is different from back then or you're taking a different philosophical approach or a message, uh, something different. 
Yeah, so we are approaching the situation differently because we're in a different situation. Um, that was the closest election uh, in Kansas and frankly in the country in years. Uh, we had to change 175 votes out, out of several hundred thousand uh, votes. Uh, and so I look at that and say, fine, we've got to do things differently. Everybody agrees that if we had won that primary, we'd be in a different position now, that we would have elected a Republican governor then. As I'm looking forward to this, um, we are approaching it differently. We're in a different situation. For starters, we have President Biden and the Democrats pushing down these unbelievable changes in social and economic policy that are adversely hampering the state. We have a governor who has taken the state and moved us in the wrong direction, closing schools, keeping abortion clinics open, closing churches. And you know, now that we're coming out of COVID, we're actually still slow and behind. Last month, we lost 1,500 jobs in Kansas where every other state is growing. Uh, and those are policy uh, decisions. So I'm approaching the situation differently. We started earlier, for example, um, and way earlier than what normally happens in a campaign. But I wanted to get out and look at people and talk with folks and really build our message. Uh, we're building a little different team. We have some of our old team, but we're adding a horn section you know, to the band and you know, expanding what we do. This race is a very different race in the primary and the general. In the primary, instead of there being nine candidates on the ballot, we have two. Um, that changes things dramatically. If there had been one less person on that ballot, we probably would have had a different answer. Uh, and so, but the main thing though, where we're still the same is you gotta be yourself. And I am the authentic conservative with a long track, work, track record of conservative principles, as well as competence in getting the job done. So I'm just running for, here's who I am, here's who I believe, and here's how we do it. And we're building you know, a big team. In fact, we already have over a hundred volunteers and that's, you know, we're a year and a half out from the general election um, and people are fired up, they're concerned. So our focus is going to be, not only do we need to fire Laura Kelly, but where are we going? I'm working on building a mandate for change, mandate for you know, conservative values, for making sure that the economy is growing with low taxes, low regulation, but a very dynamic economy so that we can grow over the next decade. Okay, let's talk about issues. Voters in of Kansas have an opportunity to express themselves next year on the subject of abortion. There's a constitutional amendment on a ballot that says Kansas women don't have a right to bodily autonomy when it comes to abortion. And that would be contrary to what the Kansas Supreme Court declared. Is this amendment necessary? What do you think about it? Yeah, absolutely. The value in both amendment is necessary. Under the current ruling that we had, um, you know, the state of Kansas was overruled um, on a number of issues. And what it looks like is in that original reading is that there could be no restrictions on abortions. So the notion that a 12 year old child does not have to have parental consent to have this surgical procedure, we wouldn't ever consider that for any other situation. Uh, notions of we're going to use federal and state tax dollars to pay for abortions. Kansans are clearly against that. 
one of the policies of the Kelly administration was we closed our schools, we closed businesses across the state, but we kept abortion clinics open. And what the result of that was Kansas saw a spike in our abortion, number of abortions last year by 10%. We actually had hundreds, if not thousands of people come to Kansas for an abortion. Kansas being the destination for a dismemberment abortion is clearly not who we are. Uh, and so the value of them both amendment allows the state to regulate it, you know, regulate this procedure just like we would regulate any other uh, procedure. And, and so I think it's very important that the issue of life be on the ballot, but then you have to have a conservative governor afterwards to make sure that those policies are put in place. And that's my goal is that we want to make sure that we have common sense restrictions on abortions so that we have fewer and fewer of them. All right, so school finance, K-12 public education always comes up in campaigns. There's been a lot of litigation in, in the state over that. Don't think you're a big fan of all that legal wrangling. But where do you see funding of public education going? What's, what's your sense of it all? Do you, do you think the, the money is too much too fast? Are you concerned about academic results? Well, I'm very concerned about academic results. To me, the whole point of education is to get kids ready for the modern world for a world where there is technology, for a world where mathematics is important, that their social skills and you know, the ability to read, those are important things, but also that their understanding of who we are as a country, you know, that America is a country that has you know, long-term values that are in the Declaration of Independence, in the Constitution, that these notions of you know, critical race theory that you know, we should set individuals apart on the basis of their skin color and that the sins of our great, great, great grandfather should be visited on children 200 years later is wrong. We need to deal with race issues and we, and we will, and we will continue to do that. But this notion of setting people against people is absolutely wrong. And as I'm going out across the state and talking about uh, that issue, um, people are responding. And I hear it in every town hall meeting. They're concerned that these issues are going to infect and that infect schools, that you have ideologies that come into schools, um, you know, where kids are not learning the value of America, which we are an exceptional country. America is a place where, you know, freedom is first and that the rights of the individual are first rather than the rights of the state. Um, and so I'm going out and I'm talking to folks. Last night, I was just at a, a visit in, in Kansas City, um, Kansas. We had 87 people show up. And you know, the issue of you know, how you know, critical race theory could come into schools and that schools could be failing um, they don't want to see that. They want to see good educational results. And so, you know, one of the things that uh, I'm looking forward to is we signed the 1776 Declaration, which really said that, you know, the patriotism of America is a good thing and that teaching these values is important. 
And we've had several school board members sign on to that. And we've already had several hundred people sign on to our petition uh, you know, for that issue. And it, it's a hot button and, and Kansans are concerned about it. Mm-hmm. So as governor, I'm gonna do a few things. One is we're gonna do everything in our power that that is not the base of education, that critical race theory is not, we're not gonna be teaching ideology in the school. We're gonna be teaching math and economics and you know reading and basic skills, but also the skills for today's technology computer science and you know programming are essential skills uh, for us and we've got to be ready for the modern world and see those opportunities here um, we have some good schools we have a few bad schools we need to make sure that the schools that are failing we need to get those kids an opportunity um, to get a better education and I think you know when schools are failing we need to come up with other solutions whether it's a competitive school or how do you rework that whole school district and that school system? Those are important things to do. And we'll work with those local school boards in Kansas. Much of that, much of those decisions are on the local level. Uh, but as governor, you, you set expectations and you make sure that they're followed. And that's what we'll be doing. You're a physician, obviously. The COVID-19 pandemic continues. Throughout, we've had people openly reject the idea of wearing a mask, social distancing, that kind of thing. And we know people are hesitant to get a vaccine. In in your medical opinion, what should we do about COVID-19 variants and and what's happening in in the state and and elsewhere? Yeah, so um, COVID-19 has changed our lives. Uh, And we're going to go to a new normal. Uh, and it's one that shouldn't be based in fear. It should be one that we base it on science, we base it on knowledge. Um, and we also have the understanding that we don't know what the future entirely holds for us. I was just talking to a patient uh, last night that is one of the COVID long haulers, and you know they're having all sorts of additional symptoms. And we're gonna learn a lot over the next 10 years. And so we're gonna to have to be open to dealing with that issue. But from my perspective, I look at this situation this way. I would have approached it very differently than Governor Kelly. For months, Kansas was ranked 47th, 45th, 50th in testing. Every state had the same opportunities for testing, but in fact, Kansas had several large labs here in Kansas that could handle that. We didn't do that. We didn't bring those on. And so Kansas was lagging behind. That's an organizational problem that starts with the governor. Kansas for months was behind in vaccinations, ranking 47th, 45th in it. We were lagging behind uh, all of those, you know, for months and months. We finally are starting to catch up, um, you know, with that. And they've done a better job, but that's an organizational problem. Every state had the same percentage number of vaccines. Missouri, you could get a vaccine much faster than you could in Kansas. I found that out personally. Um, you know, and so dealing, those are organizational issues. Then there comes the unemployment insurance issue. Kansas, we had over $700 million in fraud. Uh, and in fact, not a single person has been arrested for those crimes. That's outrageous. 
to me. And believe me, it wasn't all Nigerian princes and the money is all out of the country. These are, you know, these things have not been prosecuted and they did not in a timely fashion work to prevent them. Many other states took software that was off the shelf very early on when they saw an early spike. Kansas has had two spikes in unemployment uh, fraud. And that second one should never have happened, but it did. And then at the same time, though, I'm talking to numerous Kansans who can't get the unemployment benefits that they need, that there isn't a responsiveness. I have people reaching out to me. And when I reach out uh, back into state government, you know, they don't respond you know, to individual Kansans. Those sorts of problems, those are management problems. Those are things that sit on the governor's desk that you got to solve. So we would approach them very differently. Uh, and, you know, we showed, you know, dramatically how much, you know, we could change things in a very quick fashion. But as we're looking at coronavirus going forward, you know, the Delta variant, the vaccines that we have that we use in the United States, CDC says it is very effective against that Delta variant. Uh, and so I do encourage people to get a vaccine, but they need to work it out with their doctor in their own situation. In Kansas, we're now catching up uh, with it. We have big gaps, particularly in um, Black and Hispanic communities um, that have been left out uh, of the process. And I think you need, you need to really target you know, how, you, how you deal with that. Now, on the other side of that is this is an issue of personal choice. And the notion that we need a vaccine passport uh, in order to get along, I would have issued an executive order very early on banning uh, such a requirement. I think those are individual decisions. And Kansans, if you trust Kansans and you educate them, they will make good decisions. Uh, and that's, that's who we are as Kansans. So, you know, I don't want us to be in this situation where we keep giving government everything like our social security number and our vaccine status. Well, then, then now you're going to start create, when you start linking that and start linking where you can go, what sort of job that you have, that's big brother and we're not going. I'm thinking about rural healthcare. You know, there's a lot of communities out there that are a little anxious or just individuals that have to drive an hour to go to see a clinician. Uh, so uh, you have ideas about improving rural healthcare. Yeah, uh, so I was, I was very fortunate. President Trump uh, asked me to run the National Advisory Commission on Rural Health. This is a commission that's been around for about 25 years to advise uh, the president and HHS on things that we can do to improve rural health care. Well, I started that uh, early last year, and we had our first meeting at this obscure place you've probably never heard of called the CDC. Uh, in February of last year. And, you know, we were, we were looking at, you know, a number of healthcare issues for us. And we had to make some good advisory uh, decisions. And a lot of those are things that worked in the background. But in a matter of six weeks, we started getting telehealth out to everyone that you could actually use your iPhone for a telehealth visit with your doctor. Um, and I, as a practicing physician, um, that changed the character of it. Before, you had to send the person to a hospital 
so that they could have a camera. They couldn't do it over Zoom. And they had to have this big setup that costs hundreds of thousands of dollars. And then you had to have the same thing on the other side. That's not telehealth. Telehealth is using your phone and being able to do that. And yes, there are some things that you can't check. But one of the things is being able to have that access to people very quickly changes things. Um, I see it in my own practice. I'm a surgeon. Uh, and so you kind of think of that as largely I've got to see and touch and feel uh, what's going on. And what we found is right now um, in the post COVID as things are starting to go down, I still have about 25% of my patients I see through telehealth and it's a real benefit to them because we can see them a little more often. Um, if they need to come in the office, I have them come into the office, but the big thing is you don't have to drive two hours to go see the doctor, then wait in his waiting room for an hour, get into the room, you see him for 15 minutes, and then you leave and you go through all that bureaucracy. You can still keep your job and not lose a day's work uh, to do that. And this is a transformative thing, and I hope it continues on past the pandemic. Other things was getting additional money out to rural hospitals. Uh, there was about $10 billion that was distributed to rural hospitals. And in Kansas, you know, rural uh, community hospitals, we have what are called critical access hospitals. And for decades, they have been, uh, they've always had big financial problems. Um, most of their patients are Medicare patients, they're older uh, patients. Um, most communities, we're, what we're finding is, you know, they need that for their emergency services and maybe there are some ways that we can help transform those. And right now we're going through a process that are looking at how can we help these rural hospitals, you know, particularly the ones that are failing, um, that you know, the community really needs as a cornerstone, but they need some essential services there. And so we're working on options there. Um, and I think that is something that's gonna be really important for Kansas. It's important for our economic development. It's important for keeping our small communities alive. Uh, so as we're looking at that, the other issue is on uh, getting enough uh, residents and nurses there. And in rural communities, there's actually, we, there's now money available that we could start up some rural residency programs, not necessarily through the University of Kansas, but a group of community hospitals could get together and do that. And if you have that local training where there's this connection, you, what, what we found is that where you do your residency has, a, has the biggest impact on where you settle to do your career. And we've have a, we have a very successful program that's been out in Salina, uh, for example, where we have residents and medical students out there. If we could do and spread that across the state in places like Dodge and Garden, that would really have a big impact. And I think it's part of the long-term solution. But we're going to need, we need more medical students. We need more residencies. We need more nurses. Uh, and we need more um, LPNs and, you know, certified nurse assistants. And so when I was lieutenant governor um, and as governor, we were increasing the funding for those uh, nursing programs for those those certificate programs through community colleges, um, and you know we saw a big increase in that, and we need to keep that up and move forward on. What do you think about the idea of 
potentially expanding Medicaid to lower income Kansans? So the issue of Medicaid expansion uh, in Kansas, there's a couple things. One is most people don't want more Obamacare in Kansas. We'd rather have more mm -hmm. private insurance. And what we're seeing with right now, we have a program which, you know, every child that is eligible is on Medicaid. And in fact, the majority of children in the state of Kansas are on Medicaid now. Most people don't realize that. The group that is open right now are able-bodied adults who have, you know, who do not have a disability and have the capacity to work. Uh, and if they do work, at even at a minimum wage, if you are working, um, you would get eligible for Obamacare through that, um, you would be eligible through uh, the exchange for a highly subsidized plan. Um, and what we found is that what happens with Medicaid expansion is many people who have insurance um, that those insure that those companies that are insuring them are dropping their lower page their lower paid workers and dropping the healthcare benefit. And what we're seeing is that in the states that have expanded Medicaid, the number of people on commercial insurance has gone down rather than going up. And we're shifting people into a government program. And the problem is that Medicaid pays less than the cost of care. So it actually drives up the cost um, you know, for rural communities in particular. And the, the profit side goes down as well. Uh, I think there are better local solutions for us rather than just taking on you know, full Obamacare. And then there's one other thing, which is those rural hospitals who are hurting. And there are many hospitals in Kansas that have three or five years of continuous losses of um, very small census, like less than uh, less than 200 nights total in a year in the hospital. Medicaid expansion isn't going to save those hospitals. Um, we could do that better by taking some of that money and frankly giving it to them, working with the local community on a better solution uh, rather than doing it. If you, do, if you do Medicaid expansion, those hospitals that are going to close are still going to close. Let's, uh, I wanted to ask you about medical medicinal marijuana. What do you, what's your view on that subject? Yeah, so right now um, we have several dozen states that have legalized either marijuana directly or medical uh, marijuana or medicinal uh, marijuana. I'd like to have some real data um, for this that we you know, treat this the same way we do any other medication uh, that is prescribed. Uh, and we don't have those studies, uh, you know, right now. And I think that's important. Kansans, as I'm talking to Kansans, there may be some ways that uh, medical marijuana may make sense, but I think most Kansans right now say no. Um, and as we're looking at that, you know, we now have this difficult situation where most of the states around us have now legalized marijuana, and we're going to have to deal with that issue. Yeah, even recreationally. I wonder if you could take, I know it's hard to do 60 seconds and just tell folks about your humanitarian medical work from, can you do yeah, that? Thank you. Yeah. Um, so I grew up in Hayes and the issue of service 
was really what I grew up with, that we're here to make a difference in, in our neighbors' lives. And so I do a lot, I, you know, more than 20% of my patients are no pay now here in Kansas. Most people don't realize that, but I'm taking care of trauma, um, you know, hand injuries, facial injuries, things like that. But in addition, I work with an organization called International Medical Corps or IMC. Suggest, love it if people would go and look at International Medical Corps, C-O-R-P-S dot org is, is the website. It's the largest American organization that works in war zones. And in the last 25 years, I've worked in more than 20 different war zones around the world, uh, places like Afghanistan or Iraq, or uh, I was the only surgeon in Southern Rwanda uh, during the genocide. Um, and so worked in a number of, of places. And what I've learned from that uh, is a lot of things. One is you don't give people things, you help them help themselves. And they may be in their worst situation, but when they can take control of their lives again, that helps, not only helps them, but it helps their community build resilience and to respond. We make long-term commitments. We've been in Afghanistan uh, since 1985, and we'll still be there if the Taliban takes over. Now, it will be in a different form um, and probably a more violent form against us. But I've worked in a lot of these war zones and you know I've been there with people and they do shoot at us and we've had IEDs, but I've also found the most amazing folks that are willing to serve their communities there. And the one other thing is, and I talk to them and they'll ask me where I'm from and I'll say, I'm from Kansas. And they'll go, oh, Kansas, that's the real America. <laughs> it's not New York. It's not Hollywood, it's Kansas. And that to me is who we are. And I think the rest of the world recognizes that. We don't realize that just being ourselves um, is, is, you know, it's a special thing in and of itself. And I think that's kind of a way of saying, if we wanna make America a better place, let's start here in Kansas. As a reporter, I sometimes battle the transparent government transparency issue. And I know when you were actually governor, you spoke about this topic. And as I recall, you, you were interested in making at least the cost, the public cost of obtaining public documents uh, less, less onerous. But uh, is this still part of your uh, portfolio? Absolutely. Um, you know, I think government should be very transparent to people. And it's not just core requests, but it's the information that we give out and that we, you know, we try to be responsive to people and we try to give people a, lots of information so that we make real decisions, uh, that legislators can make good decisions. And so one of the first things I did was we brought in a number of executive orders for transparency to allow core requests, things like that. I still find this, it, we still see governments blocking that uh, now, even on the local level. I, I'm, I've seen it personally um, here that they would not respond uh, to a former governor's uh, request uh, for information on how they're dealing with, how do they protect people's personal identities? They won't tell you the policies of that. That's wrong. Um, for me, that personal transparency uh, is important. Uh, and, you know, working with people and talking to folks and, 
it starts at the top. And part of that is having a governor who's out across the state. You spend three or four days a week, you're out, you're not sitting in Cedar Crest and you're not sitting in the Capitol building. You're out being with people and you're going into agencies and you're meeting with business people and you're seeing schools and you're talking to moms, you know, who are worried about, you know, their food stamps. Um, that's, that's what you do as a governor. And then you go out and you're, you go to California and you recruit a business from there. And then you go and uh, start recruiting businesses uh, from New York City. That, and the way you do that is being visible. Invisible is being part of that transparency. And as people, you know, I think as people see this, they can trust, you know, we, we want people to trust what government is telling them. And a lot of times they don't. Uh, and I don't blame them. And, you know, if they, you know, if they won't share policies, you know, with the news media about or individuals or government officials, um, that breeds suspicion and it creates problems. The economy always comes up in campaigns. What kind of ideas are you throwing out there in terms of job growth? So let's let's first talk a little bit about the economy and the, and the impact of it. And we're in this unique situation where you can actually compare two governors side by side. We've never had that opportunity in the modern world in Kansas. So we can take my year as governor and Laura Kelly's first year as governor before coronavirus. And at the end of my you know, term, we had more Kansans working than ever before in the history of the state. We were at an all-time personal income. We'd saved two and a half billion dollars in Medicaid by uh, making the program more responsive. So, and what the result of that was, we had a nine hundred million dollar surplus. So, I handed Laura Kelly a bigger surplus than any governor's handed to another administration uh, coming in. And in that first year, our growth rate slowed down. Our unemployment rate stagnated um, and we weren't seeing as many business formations and then COVID hit and we lost 38% of all the small businesses closed in Kansas uh, over the last 15, 18 months. That's entirely the wrong direction. So how do you do this? As a governor, you know, I've, I have a unique experience of everybody in government that I, you know, actually have had a business. I employ people, I make their paychecks. And when, you know, when COVID hits and revenues go down, I give up my paycheck in order to make sure my employees, uh, you know, get paid so that they can support their families. That you have to, you know, deal with, you know, the loans and the mortgages and all of those things that there. That's a, it, and it's, it's a hard job being, you know, a business person, but I think it's an important experience for a governor. And as governor, the way I look at it is I want Kansas to be the dynamic state. Right now, we're seeing South Dakota. South Dakota is beating the socks off of us as we're coming out of coronavirus. If we'd approach it differently, where we are lower taxes, lower regulation, that we use our really valuable students that we have, that we help them get their opportunities here, that changes the economic climate of the state. And we're on, you know, we're in this cycle where we're just kind of trudging along behind everybody else. That's a, that doesn't work anymore. And, but we have all of the building blocks right here. We have 
the advantage of being in the exact center of the United States. So you can transport anything anywhere, you know, within 24 hours. Um, we have one of the best workforces in the world. Um, and our kids are great kids. And unfortunately, we lose about a third of our college graduates actually leave the state and they see their opportunities someplace else. I want us to see those entrepreneurial opportunities here so that you make it simpler to have a business, that you make sure that you have things like rural broadband, that we use the technologies such as Starlink and uh, you know some of the cable fibers that you get those access so that you can get them out to rural America. This would be an opportunity for us if we would have done those things you know, where we keep taxes low, where we you know, really incentivize creations of, of small businesses, we could be looking a lot more like South Dakota or Texas or Florida rather than looking more like California. So uh, how is fundraising going, uh, the campaign this year? Campaign's actually going phenomenally well. This is, it's too early for most people. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, definitely. And, uh, and so, you know, it's early. Um, fundraising has gone much better than we expected. Um, with that, we have a track record, uh, you know, on fundraising. Um, it's a little different environment. And as we're going forward, we're seeing that pick up. So we have fundraising is going very well. Another issue that's out there, another strength of your campaign um, is the number of volunteers. And people are coming out of the woodwork. Um, as of last night, we had 121 people already volunteering for the campaign. Um, and, you know, we, when we, you know, did, we did an event in Leavenworth and, you know, we had 15 volunteers show up in Leavenworth County uh, to help out with the campaign. People are energized. They want to see, um, they want to see a change in the state. Uh, and so we're out just being ourselves, talking to folks. Uh, we're listening to them and we're dealing with real problems. And, you know, as a surgeon, that's what, that's why I'm after. And so when you talk to people, you know, very directly about here, here are solutions, what solutions do you have? How can we build this better, uh, stronger and using our Kansas values? We get a big response on, you know, volunteers on fundraising, you know, and as we're looking across the state, um, you know, we're, we're out, you know, all over the place and it's really kind of fun i'm really enjoying it before we before we have to go i'm just curious what are a couple of the other subjects that we haven't addressed that maybe voters are are bringing up on the campaign trail they raising issues that that um maybe you want to anticipate that question for a moment yeah so uh, people are bringing up a lot of issues so i'm hearing so i've heard from several college students that they're, um, they feel like they can't, um, the political correctness, CRT sorts of issues, uh, that they can't write what they truly believe on their essay. Um, I'm hearing a lot wow. about education uh, issue, um, critical race theory. The 30 by 30 issue is huge. We, we started a petition on 30 by 30. That was the notion of 30% of the land in the United States would be under some sort of federal protection. Um, that, doesn't, that doesn't sit well with Kansans. You know, these are 
agricultural people that these ranches have been in their families for 150 years in many instances. And to have the notion that the federal government knows better how to use your land than the people who have nurtured it for generations is just wrong. Um, and, you know, Kansans want Kansas solutions uh, for it. So I hear a lot about 30 by 30. Um, we've had several hundred people sign uh, petitions on this, and there are meetings across the state that have actually attracted 50, 100, and sometimes 100 people have showed up at some of these meetings across the state. A lot of people don't realize uh, how concerned Kansans are. Um, I hear a lot about concerns that this notion of socialism and defunding the police um, is a huge issue. And, you know, people want, people believe in their neighbors who are policemen, that, you know, their neighbors work hard and they're there to protect them. And so I hear a lot about that. And that's really going to be something that's uh, also going to be an issue. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I, we could keep going, but I want to thank our guest today on the Kansas Reflector, Jeff Collier, a candidate for the Republican nomination for governor. Good luck, governor, on your race. I'm Tim Carpenter. Thanks for listening.